Hey there, it's Joey here from Watch the Throne. Just wanted to give you a quick heads up that earlier this week, Real Bad, another podcast on this very network, also covered Prometheus. So if you want a different take, it's a special crossover event, go check out their podcast. Hello and welcome to Watch the Throne. What a lovely day. This is episode 35, Prometheus, from 2012. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And with us today, we have a returning guest of sorts, also a first-time guest of sorts. <laughs> he was on our only haunted Lost episode, Ooh. way back on the Cider House Rules. If you'll remember, we did a weird little recap relap, to use Too, too Fast You Forever lingo, Mike. Uh, did a little weird recap relap of that episode because the audio got all messed up. But with us today, to give us a little bit of lesson on religion and <laughs> philosophy and who knows what else... Mr. John Brooks. Hello, John. Hello. How are you? Good. Welcome how are back. you doing? Good. I'm glad now that the tornado warning has passed. You are forever going to be on cursed Charlie's episodes. I think. I yeah. I think that's I think that's the lesson. So now I guess the the first question I want to ask you right up front here is uh, is Charlie's a robot? Oh. <laughs> uh no. Yeah no I don't I don't think so either. I think Idris Elba gets to the bottom of that. I I agree. Although you know if you've seen Westworld then it, it, maybe not. Yeah but... uh, yeah yeah. There's a bunch of things that apparently lead to the fact that maybe possibly she is a robot. Aside from the fact that she like looks and acts like a robot, uh, the fact that she calls Wayland father just like David does in Alien Covenant. There's a lot of different things. Yeah. Miscellaneous nonsense on Wikipedia that if you want to think Charlize Theron is a robot, you can. If you want to think she's a human. I think you can. Hmm. I don't know that it really matters. What matters to me is that there's not enough of her in this movie right. for my liking. Yeah, I didn't realize how little she was in this movie. Um, I haven't seen this movie in a while. I really had an adverse effect watching it the first time I did. I stayed away, uh, didn't want to re-see it. This time coming around, I had a much better experience, except for the fact that she wasn't in it as much as I remembered. Very uh, shocking, actually. And for the record, she's human. <laughs> That's just what I think. Well, to that question, Joey, I mean, the is this person a robot seems to be one of Ridley Scott's favorite questions. And, you know, what, is, what does that mean that he or she is not a robot? And, and it also sort of, like, permeates through the, the alien world. It's like at the end of Alien 3 is, you know, the, the, the version of Bishop who shows up at the end and claims that he's the version of, you know, he's the real person that Bishop was based on. And it's like, well, is he really? Maybe he's a robot. And, of course, you know, the, the, most, the most famous and sort of, like, nerd controversial is someone a robot is also from Ridley Scott's Blade Runner as to whether or not, mm-hmm. you know, Descartes is a robot, robot or not. And, and the answer is definitively no, by the way, even though that uh, Ridley Scott says the answer is yes. It's just like how Bruce Willis says that Die Hard's not a Christmas movie. Like, he's wrong. I mean, it yeah, is. He's wrong. Yeah, and the so and Prometheus, and aren't always right. Prometheus is also a Christmas movie for that matter and and oh yeah yes, and, and, and at the I same time one of the least interesting questions about prometheus is whether or not she's a robot but i, I think the, the question as to like that there is some uncertainty is actually what really matters i don't think the, the answer yes. to the question of whether or not she's a robot matters i think that we don't really know for sure and that it is somewhat ambiguous i think that does matter to the overall uh, sort of theme of the story so the answer is kind of is, is I, I i don't think so i don't think she is i don't think it matters but i do think it's an interesting and important question as to what Mike was saying about, about Charlize in this movie, uh, one of the criticisms, and there are a lot of them that I keep hearing of this movie, which I think is just one of the, I don't know, weirder criticisms, I guess, is that, is that Charlize is wasted in this movie. And I don't think that's true at all. Like, she's not 
in it in a, in a big way, and she's a pretty big star, so it's kind of interesting that she has a minor role. Guy Pierce is also a fairly big star, yep. like, he's barely mm-hmm. in it, and most of the time when he is, he's, like, in really horrible old man makeup. Really bad old So I have makeup. facts about both of those. But Charlize, uh, you know, I think, even though it's a very small role, I don't think she's wasted at all, because I think her role really matters in the in, in mm-hmm. the hands of a, of a less talented or less well-cast actress, you know, just random actress, whatever, I don't think it would be effective. Um, and, yeah. and there's some really intense and important moments in that movie that I think she's used to great effect. Yeah, I definitely think that of all the people in the movie, she's acting appropriately to the situation. So, like, she may not be in it <laughs> a lot, but I true. feel like she's the only one that really knows what movie she's actually in here. <laughs> so a couple things about both of those people. Number one, for the Guy Pierce part, he wasn't supposed to be that. Really, Scott wanted Max von Sydow for that role. Oh, um, cool. Okay, going back to Blade Runner. Sure, okay, yeah. He got episode seven later on, so he did But okay. then what happened was that there was the scene where David... There was going to be a scene where David interfaced with his character while he was sleeping. That got cut from the movie. But in that scene, he was going to be shown as young David, or young Wayland, and so it was going to be somebody... I guess they were going to cast Guy Pierce for that or whatever, or somebody like Guy Pierce. And then they're like, oh, we'll just cast him for... We'll just put him in, air, in old man makeup. Then they cut that scene from oh. the movie. They're like, oh, well, we already cast Guy Pierce. I guess we'll just yeah. put him in old man makeup. So that's what's weird about that. They also cast him for a bunch of internet things. Like, he did right. a TED Talk the as Talk, Wayland. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yes. so, and that's, what the, that's what they're saying, that they allowed, because they had Guy Pierce as this young version of him, they were able to do sort of viral marketing for right. that part. Oh, and actually, r- real quick before you go any further, I, I, I just screwed up there. It's Rutger Hauer, who's in Blade Runner, not Max, Max von Sydow. For some reason, I get those guys mixed up all the time. Well, no, because he also he also he wanted one or the other. That There's two things I read. One, he wanted Max von Sydow, one, he wanted him or Rutger Hauer. So, like, they're both they're both in that same wheelhouse. So, it's it's they want that kind of guy. One day, he'll make a movie with both of them, and it's going to be amazing. But, yeah. Exactly. And <laughs> And then he's like, no, we're gonna make, th- we're gonna do this thing with a young actor, and they're like, just kidding. But we already cast a young actor, so let's have him be the old actor. But the other thing, the more important thing for what we're talking about is that they wanted Charlize. That Charlize was effectively cast in the Numi Rapace. Is that how you pronounce her name? Rapace? Yeah, I think so. In the Numi Rapace role, the the lead role, Shaw. Except then she had to film Mad Max Fury Road, and so mm. she couldn't do the movie anymore. Then Fury Road got delayed, and so she was back in the movie, but they had recast Numi Rapace, and so they just gave uh, Charlie, Charlie Theron the Vickers role. But the Vickers role was also considered to be for Michelle Yeoh? Yeah, I that's think, what from, I heard. Uh, yeah. Crouching Tiger, or Angelina Jolie. So they were all under consideration for that, but it's weird that Charlie's was like associated mm-hmm. or attached to the project, then removed, and then brought back. So that's, you know, there's, yeah. a, there's a complicated narrative that we weave there. They really wanted her in this movie by hook or by crook. Like, that's what I love about Ridley Scott. He's like, any way I can get her in here, I'm getting her in this movie. But something interesting I heard about the Michelle Yeoh character, um, she was supposed to not be Whalen's daughter. She was going to be Mrs. Yutani. And because in the original <laughs> Alien movie is the Whalen Yutani Corporation. So well, she was Runner. sort of yeah yeah so she was gonna be an entirely different character so they kind of when they got Charlize back they changed the entire character around actually and made her sort of this David doppelganger sort of unwanted daughter kind of thing so I had to build a better boy robot to replace my daughter character but yeah so I'm just glad for whatever reason Ridley Scott was able to get her in this movie that's interesting I didn't <laughs> we're finally gonna see the Utani family as well see where the sort of crossover between the two the merger corporation took place. That'd be a good movie. Wayland Utani is is 
what connects the Blade Runner universe to the Alien universe as well, because that's it's Wayland Utani is who creates the uh, the Blade Runners, the, oh, the replicants well. uh, in, in in Blade Runner. So in terms of the timeline, then we have Blade Runner that happens in twenty seventeen ish, and then we have Blade Runner twenty forty nine, and then I guess the next thing chronologically is this, which happens 40-ish 40, mm-hmm. years later, right? In a very think, different different looking world, but yeah. 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 Something in, happened uh, along the way. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, the Earth got a lot better, apparently. It did, yeah, but, thanks uh, to Wayland Utani. They land on the planet on 2093. It's like Christmas yeah. Eve, or so it's 20, it's 12-21-93. The movie ends New Year's Day. Right. Uh, I can't wait to get into like all the cut stuff about Christmas that was <laughs> going on in the back of this script, but it there's some insane rumors that were flying around about this movie. All right, oh, I don't such, know as, any of such as what? Throw, throw, okay, throw one out so at me. Yeah. originally I heard that they were really pushing the whole Christmas and Christ and Bible metaphor a lot harder. This one, oh, they, yes. mm-hmm. this one has a lot more of like myth and all types of religious stuff mixed together. I feel there's a lot of biblical stuff in there, though. I mean, like oh no, yeah, absolutely. But it was so. This is what I heard originally. An engineer yeah. came to Earth. Yeah preached the good word and was crucified. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Basically, Jesus Christ was supposed to have been in one of these engineers, and that was all in an original draft, all reference to stuff like that. Or... And I'm just thankful it was mostly cut. Okay, so what the way I understand it, and I don't think this actually is cut, because if you look at the... Um, it's, it's sort of explicit in the movie, the way that it plays it out. The way I actually understand it is not that Jesus is an engineer, but rather that if, if you take the engineers to be our creators and this, therefore, you know, the God of the Bible, essentially, right? Who create life on Earth. Uh, and, and at the beginning of the, the sort of opening scene, you see the engineer literally like giving his own life to create life on Earth, or whatever planet it is. It's, it's, it's showing an example of how, how it's done, right? Where the DNA of the engineer splices with the organic matter of that planet, and then whatever, you know, it becomes, becomes that organic matter. The way I understood it is, is not that Jesus, the implications that Jesus was an engineer, but rather a project of the engineer, uh, a son of the engineers, a creation of the engineers. In the exact same way, and this gets into with Covenant, the the way that David screws around with the engineer's uh, biochemistry uh, to create the xenomorphs, which is like the opposite of Jesus, right? They're, they're only interested in killing and eating and surviving and, you know, and thriving. And so what happened, it, it, the idea is that humanity rejected, right, the engineer's sort of fig leaf peace offering to finally get along and stop being such dicks to each other. When that happened, the engineers were like, screw this species, like, we're out of here. You know, these, these people are insane. The crashed ship, right, the, the, the ship of all the dead engineers, uh, they explicitly say in the, in the script it's been there for 2,000 years, right? So oh, like, okay. So, right. So, so, and it's all happening on, on Christmas Eve and like Idris Elba has a Christmas tree and, and there's, you know, there's all this sort of Christ metaphors. So I think, you know, what it's doing is sort of in a, in a very almost kind of ancient aliens kind of way. Yes. It's somewhat hokey, <laughs> but also I think also kind of like gets the message across is that is that one of the enduring themes of at least Ridley Scott's vision for Alien is that the bad guy is not necessarily the xenomorph, right? The bad guy is the creations of mankind and and mankind run amok. Uh, And that is the most dangerous threat to the universe. That's the most dangerous threat to all life throughout the galaxy. And like David is the realization of that. He, He believes 
that he was created for that reason, right? He believes he was created because human beings are essentially destructive and, and only want to conquer and rule, and so he needs to see that out. That idea is explored more in Covenant, but it's certainly alluded to a lot of times in Prometheus. I'm glad you brought up Idris Elba, and I'm glad you brought up the Christmas tree, because I wrote, I think my letterbox review was like, I wish that instead of watching this movie for Charlize, we were watching for him, because he is my favorite character in this movie. I love him in this movie. I love Idris Elba. The fact that he's now going to be the villain in the Fast and Furious spinoff Hobbs and Shaw, like, I am into that. Like, I want as much Idris Elba in my life as possible. I saw this movie in theaters before I knew who he was, before I had seen The Wire, and so the fact that he was in this, I was like, oh, shit, like, okay, cool. And I just loved his character in this movie. In a ship filled with a lot of dum-dums, he seems like a cool, grounded, sort of smart guy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He's, he's the second guy who's acting appropriately when the time comes. You know, I, f- I feel like him and Charlize are a good match together. Like, they should have, they should get together because they are reacting properly. They're not, like, dilly-dallying. They're not, like, prodding and, like, experimenting stupidly or anything like that. He's like, I know what this place is. This is death. We're getting the hell out of here. Yep. And then when that's not possible, he commits to destroying himself to save humanity, you know, and stuff. So, like, I agree. I also wish he was in this movie a bit more. I really like how he got out of the ship and went with the crew at one point in the movie because it gave him more to do. Yeah, agree. Idris Alba, thank you for being here. I think there's what you're sort of painting here is 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 the way that the division of humanity within the Ridley Scott alien universe mm. It depicts humanity as most of us are stupid, then there's a small fraction of us who are super destructive, and then there's a small fraction of us who are actually decent, you know, altruistically good people. And, and there's pretty much, it's like a it's like an 80-10-10, I think, like division. <laughs> 80 being the stupid people. Right, and I, and I think yes. if you look at Alien, if you look at Covenant, if you look at Prometheus, um, and if you look at a lot of Ridley Scott's movies, that's sort of basically, I think, the way he paints humanity, right? There, there's, there's like, most, most people are stupid, then there are human beings who are very powerful and malicious, Malignant, and then there are a few who are there to sort of prevent the mass destruction of the human race by by its own hand. And, and I kind of think that is like the Ridley Scott formula uh, in a certain way. And it kind of applies to pretty much all of his all of his movies, especially his sci-fi movies. I think the same could be said about Blade Runner, right? Basically have like dumb people <laughs> and then malicious people and then a couple of people who are like just trying to do the right thing. And whether it's like Idris Elba's character in, in Prometheus and there's a crew of people who are just sort of dumb and they're not really good or bad, they're just sort of idiots and except for his like two crewmates who are like, yeah, okay, let's kill ourselves to save humanity. Awesome. Covenant kind of doubles down on that. Like 95% of people in Covenant are really stupid and get really killed. And, and in Prometheus, you know, you've got him and you've got Shaw who is extremely kind of noble and does things that are really pretty unthinkable, including the abortion sequence, for the sake of, like, saving the day, as it were, or at least saving her own life. She's not a complete idiot. But her boyfriend, who I don't understand why she sees anything in him, definitely is, right? Like, is one of the stupidest characters of all time. I'm just glad in this movie, I think it's Covenant, although there were a couple space movies that came out around the same time, this and Life, and a couple other things that I just didn't really like any of them, but I'm glad that this movie, unlike Covenant, I'm pretty sure, doesn't have anybody having shower sex and getting killed in the shower in this movie. Right. Uh, At least they're not dumb enough to do that like they're at least yeah. having sex in the confines of their bedroom yeah. with alien dna in their blo- in their body that's leading to <laughs> unplanned circumstances or whatever but you know right. i feel like they're dumb in their actions but they're not mm, they're they're dumb in a they're they're dumb in a smart way like not not in a good way but they're not dumb like movie dumb i feel like they're just dumb 
just dum-dums. I think part of it is the movie, for me at least, doesn't know if it's a sci-fi movie or a horror movie. Like, I would prefer this movie just went hard sci-fi, but then there are moments where it's like, okay, these characters have to act out of character in order for us to have like a scare or action or a death or something because there's just in particular there's the one met guy who maps the whole ship with his robot orbs and stuff like he's presented as such a badass and immediately he gets like scared and wants to leave and everything so it's like why did what caused that shift i just don't feel like there's even time maybe there's too many people to get like a concrete grasp on any of these so that's why they're are you talking about sean harris sean harris and race ball that's those those two characters yeah 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 yeah. hot fuzz and mission impossible i was (laughs) (laughs) one of them's an andy and the other is the mortal enemy of tom cruise yeah it just goes along with what what you're kind of saying before is just these characters are painted in like super broad strokes and so they're very stereotyped uh at at certain points in the film and so like shaw's boyfriend just he's ends up becoming an alcoholic and there's a few things about how mean spirit he is spirited as he is earlier and so they just really run with that like there's no one really arcs to any degree everyone pretty much stays baseline except they get like that and they're really scared and like that or they're like back to normal or something but i just don't really get any growth out of any of these characters and i think partially that's why i had like a negative effect to it the first time i saw it now now i like it for other reasons mostly it's visually stunning it's a beautiful yeah. looking movie and some of the ideas they are able to get across are very interesting i i, I like it I just wish it wasn't so connected to Aliens, the franchise, maybe, because I do like what it's trying to say and do. Of the three of us, I am far and away the least related and the least close in just about every way to this franchise. Like, I've seen the first two a couple times. I just saw the third one for the first time for Mike's podcast when he covered it for Third Down to Charm. I've never seen Resurrection, and I've only seen Alien Covenant once. So, like, I have a hard time relating it to the other movies. I agree with Mike in terms of, like, it's not exactly sure what it wants to be. What disappoints me the most, what sort of feels the most, like, the biggest missed opportunity or whatever, is what I completely forgot happened when you see his name in the opening credits, that Damon Lindelof did, like, heavy, heavy script rewriting on this movie. Mm. And Damon Lindelof, like, single-handedly, or at least, you know, jointly, responsible for my two favorite TV shows of all time, the fact that he's on this, I should have been like, oh, this should be, like, a slam-dunk movie for me. And yet, it's not. And I feel like there's a lot, like you're saying, John, you know, there's a lot of things that deal, you know, with religion and metaphor and where we came from and where we're going and what have you, what have you. But I just feel like, in addition to not knowing what it is, it's just the fact that, like, this was originally written to be such, like, a real true prequel to Alien that was going to take place on the same planetoid as Alien takes place on. And then they're like, no, no, no we got to, like, rejigger everything. And it feels mm-hmm. like it's not only crossing genres in weird ways, it's crossing stories in weird ways. That it wants to be an alien prequel, but it also wants to be its own thing, and it also wants to be this, and it also wants to be that. There's so much about this that I like, and there's so much about this that I think could be good, and I think there's... You know, I'm, I'm okay having dumb characters in movies if it, you know, leads to the betterment of something else, but it just feels like it falls flat. And I, I, there, I don't have enough stock in the franchise to either be disappointed in certain elements or give it credit where Mm -hmm. it otherwise shouldn't. Mm -hmm. I'm just sort of this like weird neutral observer like, oh yeah, like I like parts of this and I don't like parts of this, but it doesn't like offend me on a deeper level that this like ruined the Alien franchise or something because like I watched Alien 3 and that was a piece of shit and maybe I'm missing things, but like I don't think it's, it it doesn't, to me, doesn't like ruin the franchise in any way that people I think give this, like blame this movie for doing. Mm. Yeah, I think what it was for me was the franchise was already pretty much in the tank. So 
this was I was excited because this was going to sort of revitalize it you know when I was like this was going to be we're going to re-spark it it's the reboot or whatever it was you know yeah ultimately like I was just disappointed it fell flat it didn't answer things I was expecting it to it raised more questions than I you know than it answered maybe that's like kind of the Lindelof thing that was going around at the time was he was sort of accused of oh more questions than answers personally I, I don't have an issue with that but I'm just not sure that this was the proper place to, to do this story justice like I think you're right Joey the the prequel wanted to be one thing and it was on course to do that and then they sort of sidetracked and said well let's try all this other stuff also oh no like we've sort of got jelly in our peanut butter here it's all mixed up like except it doesn't taste good like it should it's interesting it feels like too many hands i mean i don't i don't think it's like dog shit or anything like believe me i it's just like my third favorite alien movie you know after two i think i go to this one and then resurrection and then three so three isn't even on the top of my list i don't really hold this franchise sacred i really love the design element involved like i think i could just coast on watching these on mute for the rest of my life if i needed to because i'm aware that they're going to raise these interesting questions but they're not really going to do anything to sort of conclusively answer them that's okay i can leave the theater and talk about it with my friends and stuff but i just feel like the general public and the movie going audience was expecting more answers so i just have a feeling that could have led to a bit of its reputation. I, I do agree with Mike in terms of the design that like H.R. Giger worked on this again just like he did the original ones. What I like about the set design of this movie is that they sort of reverse engineered the aliens to create this and it also feels like they sort of did the same thing with the score. Like I was reading something that like whoever wrote the score had his orchestra play it backwards yeah. and then they, huh. they machine reversed it so that it sounds like weird and a little bit off kilter. So like that's cool too like it feels like this like in that world it is sort of like a what comes before not like a prequel but like what comes before and i like the you know the enthusiasm and the ideas behind it but i just don't know that it actually you know amounts to a movie that it's sort of you know hovering but it's it's sort of like keanu in the matrix revolutions like he's in mobile ave and he doesn't really know where he belongs yeah i so that's that (laughs) it's interesting to hear all that because i normally like people just crap all over this movie which i i don't get like i want to make clear like this is one of my favorite movies of all time i like i i absolutely love this movie i've seen it many many times um and and i i think it's awesome as to the lindelof element of it i mean i get the little lindelof criticism i'm sympathetic to it i i totally kind of agree with it i I think lindelof is really great at sort of asking these big questions and like you know and, and i don't think he always necessarily knows like where he wants to go with those questions and and sometimes that's fine uh and sometimes um it's annoying i know joey we've talked about um, the leftovers which i know you love and i i also loved but just in a different sort of capacity i guess to you yep but you know yeah that's a good example right and at least like with leftovers he's honest he's like there are no answers like that's just the way it's going to be and and that's fine so i think there's kind of a backlash kind of post a post lost backlash to you know lindelof sort of flighty you know kind of hoity-toity philosophizing and i get that i think it works for the most part in prometheus and i think a lot of the um the questions it raises the way that it answers those questions at least sort of the philosophical questions about um human nature uh, i think are really really interesting and well fleshed out i totally agree with you guys i mean this is like from a production standpoint this is one of the most incredible movies i've ever seen in my life and i i, I saw it for the first time in imax 3d which helped in terms of immersing you into this movie one of the things i love about ridley scott is that 
you know, a lot of people say that, like, you know, special effects should come second to the story. And, and I, I don't think, I think Scott is like, no, it has to be, like, right there with it. Because, like, to, for the story to work, you have to believe this is really happening. And Prometheus is one of those, the first movies I ever saw, like, science fiction movies, where I really kind of, like, when they first arrive at LV-223, I really thought, like, oh my god, like, it, fe- it felt like coming out of hypersleep and, and arriving at a planet. Like, that whole sequence is just really chilling and it really like it, it really puts you in that that mode in that moment when they first see the sort of what looks to be a man-made structure on this planet right like it's so well done it's it feels so real and, and you rarely see especially with like the world of cgi that sort of attention to making things feel not just like not just to pull it off right but like to make it real it's one of the things that like as much as i liked the uh, the most recent avengers movie like it just feels like i watched a movie with people just like running around with a green screen behind them right it felt like people like inside of a video game most of the time and so that can really kind of take away from from the experience even if it is like schnazzy and impressive so i totally agree with you guys on 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 that perspective i'm sure a lot of it has to do with the fact that you know there's a lot of religious metaphor here, like the, the the myth of Prometheus itself and the way that it is used as the basis for the underlying story that's going on and, and the way it's sort of like a modern, almost like an Aesop's, you know, fairy tale. And I'm obviously a sucker for that, right? And and I, I don't I don't like having minority opinions as much as like people might think I do. I don't like being in the minority. I don't like the fact that like nobody else likes the second and third matrix but me. I don't like the fact that nobody likes oh, no, the... we do. We do. I, well, I, you're, you guys are in good company here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're right. I don't, I don't like explaining to people like what I like about the Star Wars prequels. Like I, I don't like having those opinions, and I get tired of arguing them. Like I don't really want to. But this is the one movie that really baffles me in terms of its like the severity of its detractors. And I think it does come back to the idea of what Mike is saying is that people went into this thinking it is the the Alien prequel, right? And it's going to be like we've had such a bunch of really kind of crap Alien movies, including Alien versus Predator Requiem, right? And there hadn't been a good Alien movie since basically James Cameron there have been some some good movies that were like some movies that were had had their moments I'm a fan of Alien 3 um, though I see why other people aren't I have my problems <laughs> with it I like a lot of stuff about uh, resurrection but I dislike more than I like about it so people were like cool Ridley Scott's back it's going to be a new Alien movie great and I understand like why they were disappointed and I think the shame of that disappointment is that they missed out on on what I think is one of the most accomplished science fiction movies of the last quarter century and that's that's too bad you know what this reminds me of sort of the way that you were describing this in terms of what you like about it and what you like about the beginning and about how it feels like different from the Avengers movies and I might I don't I don't remember what you think about this movie and I might offend you I don't remember I think Mike likes this movie more than I do but the beginning of this movie also reminds me of Rogue One where it's oh, like, I love Rogue this, One. Like, I, I'm a I'm a huge I know, fan. and I don't. Yeah, okay. It's right. awesome. <laughs> and I don't. I don't dislike it. I just don't love it. Sure. But That's anyway, fine. the beginning of that movie where there's like the like the, the windswept grassy fields yeah. and we have, yeah. you know, we have uh, Forrest Whitaker and we have Ben Mendelsohn and it's just like, holy shit, like, this is like, this is new and this feels real and this feels like a world. And then the rest of the movie is just like, oh, okay, here we are. And it feels like here, like, we, like I agree with you fully, like we get to this planet we're like, oh my God, like here, like this is like something new and this is like, exciting this exploration and like you just sort of follow these dum-dums around like i almost wish i almost wish it was sort of like almost like a first person 
Simulator were like it's just like a world explorer, like almost like No Man's Sky in a way. Oh, like it's just really like cool. you and, and the environment, yeah. and it's just you exploring, and you don't have to listen to people like, oh no no, I can tell it's a woman. Can't you tell it's a woman? And then it just bites his face off, like just like stuff like that. Like I understand that that falls within the genre tropes and everything, but I just want to I want to walk through these caves myself. I don't yeah. want to see these guys <laughs> make the wrong decisions. Like I want to make the wrong decisions. I'm okay putting myself in those shoes. I just want to see these dumb dumbs do it. <laughs> yeah, but actually, and what you're saying is like also, I mean, you know, I, I do think one of the great things about this movie, though, is that it gives you more of that than most movies do. And, and, and one of the things that I really, that are really kind of, that turns me off about a lot of science fiction movies or fantasy movies or whatever is when I don't feel like I get a chance to like really kind of live in the world a little bit and like just, and just kind of like, you know, take the foot off the accelerator and kind yeah. of like be there. And I feel like a lot of Prometheus really lets you be there. And, and to, the, to the point where you want to be there more, that you get that feeling, Joey, I think is is uh, a testament to it rather than a, a, a criticism of it. That it, it like it feels interesting and like it feels lived in, mm-hmm. and 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 like you're really exploring something and not, you know, it's an interesting what you bring up about Rogue One and the introductory scene to Rogue One, if you contrast that to, and I think a good example of this is the sort of introductory scene of The Force Awakens, where it feels like it's all taking place on a soundstage rather than on a desert planet, right? Like, that, the, the whole thing with, with Max von Sydow and Adam Driver, like, it just feels like it's on a soundstage. And, yep. and, it, and it, it's, it's cool, it's well done, but it doesn't feel lived in, where, where this mm. movie really does give you that feeling, which I think mm. matters to, to what it's trying to say. Yeah. And I think for the most part, a lot of this movie is a big mystery, too. So we have a really cool sort of environment here we're going to spend time exploring. And not everybody on screen is going to find out the same stuff, but us as the viewer are going to sort of be able to kind of peel back some layers. We'll we'll get a more full picture than anyone in the actual movie. I think that's kind of interesting. One other thing I think that helps upon rewatching this movie, it, it helped me with the rest of the movie, the very opening shot of that ceremony, you know, it's doing two things that I'm very glad it's doing. The first thing it's doing is it's answering right off the bat my first, the question I thought was going to be answered at the very end, who is the space jockey, right? Like, that was what this movie was supposed to answer, and here it is, like, in the very first <laughs> shot. Like, this is it. This is the engineer. He's going to be in the, in the suit. The other thing it does is um, it's a special effect, or I don't know if the guy's in makeup or whatever. But it is, it's looking... a guy in makeup. Yeah, it is. Okay, that's, that's really impressive. <laughs> and... Um, but what's really cool is, like, as he starts to crumble and all this stuff, like, we're starting with an effects-heavy opening sequence here, and it's done extremely well. They actually cut back on this. There's a, a deleted scene with more of these guys sort of standing around him, and I'm kind of glad they're not there in the final cut because it gives us enough of, like, CGI and weird kind of, like, makeup and all that thing, and it answers who's the engineer right off the bat, like... I feel like kind of full and I can sit back now and like wait and see what the rest of this movie is about. You know, like I I feel like I've got, I'm like satisfied in the beginning. It's a nice little appetizer mentally this time. And so now I'm not waiting to find out what an engineer is or who the space jockey looks like or anything when sort of effects heavy stuff comes along, which doesn't come along very often because this is mostly a practical effects film. I'm way more accepting of it because it's never 
that extreme, you know what I'm saying? Until the octopus thing at the very end. But even the abortion sequence, like that's all practical and I accept it as real because I feel because of that opening sequence with the uh, crumbling man and everything. Man, we have so many abortions in our Charlize movies. Like, it's <laughs> oh, crazy. It's, it's sick. It's Also, also, both John Brooks movies have abortions. That's true, in they do. Yeah, except oh, one's an yeah. alien abortion. And, 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 one and technically, the, it's, the it's, not, it's not an abortion machine. It's a, you know... <laughs> get the foreign substance out of my body machine. Well, it's also not at all an abortion machine because it's not for women at all. Like, yeah. that seems that seems weirdly sexist. Sure. Well, it was for, uh, I think that was a clue that it was for Wayland, right? That yep. Wayland's on the ship. Yes. And when he gets out, he might need he might need a machine. <laughs> he might, <laughs> he might need, need some, some medical, medical assistance. Medical assistance. Yeah. <laughs> He's 9,000 years old. Two of the things that I, I want to talk about Charlie's character in particular, in a second, because I want to get your Vickers. your your impression, Vickers. I want to get your impression of like why she matters, like why she's even in this movie in the first place, and sort of what that says about the broader scope of the movie. But but the two, so the two most outstanding sort of philosophical, mythological, religious references are the myth of Prometheus, obviously, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you guys know. He gave fire to man and was kicked out of Mount Olympus. That's for it. Stole, that's that's not stole the fire, right? That's the most superficial reading of Prometheus possible. There's a lot more to it's it. What than I was that. taught. Gotta love my education. I'll flesh that out again in a second. And the other is is the uh, LV-223 reference. So, so LV-223. Leviticus. Leviticus 22-3. That's the, the planet they're on. And the planet in Alien is also an LV, but I can't remember which one it is. Uh, I think it's 228, but it might not. Oh, okay. Yeah, 426. Because it's Alien, alien Day is, uh, is April 26th, I think. That's the only reason I know it, because I saw both those movies in a theater on April 26th for Alien Day. But anyway. So here's what Leviticus 223 says. Uh, it says, Say to them, for the generations to come, if any of your descendants is ceremonially unclean and yet comes near the sacred offerings that the Israelites consecrate to the Lord. That person must be cut off from my presence. I am the Lord. What that, uh, in a nutshell, is saying... Uh, That's some real Old Testament God, I can tell you that much. Yeah, so, so Leviticus, uh, for those of you who are completely illiterate to um, the, the Bible entirely, Leviticus is the sort of outline, the whole thing is, is uh, old, ancient Jewish law. So it's like the Book of Laws. The way of the priests is what Leviticus really means. And uh, so what this is saying, this is referring to uh, being unworthy to be in the presence of the Creator, and what happens if you try to approach the Creator without... With with uh, unclean conditions uh, or circumstances. Now, that that obviously is a reference to... That applies to a lot of things that happen in this movie, but most notably, um, the whole point of the mission was so that Waylon can find out how to live forever, right, from a from an engineer, and then he gets his answer. So, you know, the engineer's sort of taking on this idea of worthiness, and the hint that 2,000 years ago they were like, fuck these people, and ran away, that we as a species are mostly unworthy of anything unique in the universe, and then, of course, that gets fleshed out much more dramatically um, in Covenant uh, when our creation decides to fuck up all of the engineers. So, there's, there's there's, there's that element of it. The myth of Prometheus itself, yes, it is about this guy who steals fire uh, and is 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 kicked, nailed it. Kicked out of Mount Olympus. Nailed it. It's why stealing fire is significant. That is actually the meaning behind this myth. So, in one of my favorite tellings of Prometheus, there's actually a prologue segment where Zeus <laughs> is talking about like specifically why he doesn't want human beings to have fire, and and the reason is that Zeus exists uh, as as most ancient gods existed in, in something called thought form, which is to say that it's, it's what we now 
refer to the way that ancient civilization thought about their gods, which is that it was almost u- universally accepted that gods only existed so far as they were worshipped. An opposing army came in and, and, and wiped out your civilization, right? It wiped out your gods along with it. Your gods lost a war. They were no longer worthy of worship. You then sort of take on the uh, the gods of the conquering forces. If you decide to no longer worship your gods, they cease to exist. So like they exist through the praise and worship of human beings. That was a really, really common theological understanding among sort of the Greco-Persian world, right? Uh, the, the, the world that we now call Europe and the Middle East. Zeus says that he doesn't want man to get fire because he's worried that if that happens, then mankind will leave their caves, they'll start cooking their food, and then they'll start like staying up at night, and they'll start like thinking about philosophy, and, and then they'll start building cities, and then they'll start like, you know, making cars and robots, and they'll, they'll, they'll forget all about the gods. And, and, he's, and he's, he's worried that if mankind has something to do other than living within his own cave, that if he's able to leave the cave with fire, then Zeus dies, which is a reasonable concern for a god. So he's Prometheus says, well, no, that's slavery, and I don't think that's cool, so I'm going to give fire to mankind, right? And, and, and in doing that, in, in fire representing evolution, re- representing wisdom, you know, enlightenment, uh, technology, growth. whatever, right? Growth. In so doing, he is putting the gods' lives at risk. He is also doing something that is incredibly... Putting their lives at risk or putting their, like, not reputation, but their, like, their, uh, no, their, their, their existence. Like, they cease to exist if they are no longer worshipped all the time. And if mankind starts to think of itself as gods because they now have this tool that is incredibly you know, that is central to all of civilization, which is, by the way, evolutionarily true, right? This is an incredibly insightful myth. They die. And so Prometheus decides that he's he's not going to allow hu- human beings to live in slavery. He's going to give them fire. He's going to roll the dice on that. Uh, and in so doing, he, he is punished. But he becomes the a Christ figure. He becomes the champion for mankind. He is the god who sacrificed himself for the liberation of mankind. It is a it is a Christ myth hundreds of years before the, 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 the Christ myth of the New Testament takes place. But they are very, very closely entwined. If Prometheus is in some ways the Christ of the Greeks, therefore it is not a big leap to say that that also feeds into this overall sort of Jesus Christ narrative that's going on in the background of Prometheus as, you know, a lot of the subtext uh, including the Christmas tree indicates. But also, like, what that means, like what we are meant to be take, taking away from that, what it is to be saved, what are the engineers willing to give us and what are they not willing to give us, and one of the things that they're not willing to give us is eternal life, right, like when, or, or specifically they're not willing to give Wayland eternal life, like he goes there and that's, it turns out that's all he wanted was something for his own personal benefit. Uh, and his response is to get choked to death. Whoever could have imagined that a rich old white man wanted something for self like self satisfying. <laughs> right, right. And, and, and in a lot of ways, then he is, you know, on a different level than than Wayland is Zeus, like the creator of a slave race who is also deeply concerned about not living forever, and and who then is, you know, sort of betrayed by a, a more noble group of human beings. So it's you know, the the, uh, the creator-created dynamic that goes throughout Prometheus is really, really interesting, uh, and especially when it comes to what it means to be a responsible creator, what the 
consequences of being an irresponsible creator um, or an irresponsible scientist ultimately reap. One of the great things that, that this brought back for me, which I think was always the most interesting thing about Ridley Scott's original Alien, and that most people don't get, right? The Xenomorphs are not the aliens. Like, we're the aliens. We are the invading people. Like, we are the, we are the people who came from outer space to this planet, right, and started fucking with this species. And then this one alien gets on board this ship and starts killing everybody because they are the invaders. And so the idea that the xenomorphs are the aliens, which has become sort of the common wisdom, thanks to James Cameron, is wrong. It's the wrong interpretation of that movie. Thanks, James Cameron. Yeah, like, we are the aliens. Like, we are the invaders. And and so here we are coming into the sacred space in Prometheus, uh, and we are not doing it cleanly, right? And as a result, bad shit happens to us. You know what I wish with you saying this? I wish that they had and maybe they do, I mean I guess that's sort of kind of what the Shaw character is supposed to be with her necklace. Yeah, but I wish that they the brought like a holy right. man or a holy person on the on the ship that they were able to like go into this and sort of come at the experience like through a different angle. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. if they were like, hey, like it's sort of in a way I guess you know what happens with Annihilation, right? Like you have you, John, have you read or seen Annihilation? I'm I'm halfway through the book. I've not seen the movie yet. I wish that this team was sort of more like Annihilation, where they bring or like the idea behind the Shimmer, or the Glimmer. What's it called? The Shimmer. Uh, the Shimmer. Yeah. And like I wish that this crew, and I wish that sort of all crews were more like the team that they sent into the Shimmer, where it's like this like various collections of different types of people. Like a, like you could bring like a sociologist and a religious expert and all these different things yeah. instead of just like scientists and military people. Which I understand right. like that's what we're making here, and it's that semi-action, semi-sci-fi, semi-horror movie. But I feel like it would be more interesting, I feel like, especially given Damon Lindelof's influence, that if they if they sort of diversified. Right. It needs an Ian Malcolm character, like someone to be on the sideline right. and be like, this is yeah. all wrong, right? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> hey, weirdly, this planet is related to Leviticus. Let's look that up. Oh, crap, let's well, go, right? Like, <laughs> well, I almost thought that Charlize was going to burden a lot of that exposition, to be honest, because she's stuck on the ship with nothing else to do and talking a lot to other crewmates. You'd think that they would mentioned oh you know at least Idris Elba how you want to hear how I got the name of this ship Prometheus you know or something and then they could sort of launch into a bit of it or you know talk about it talk around it a little bit or anything but yeah you know otherwise I feel like you have to maybe do homework before or after watching this movie as as a as another I mean obviously another element that plays into this and I I I don't know if you guys know what the what the sequel to Prometheus is not the not Covenant, the the, the Greek myth of Prometheus. <laughs> Do you know what myth immediately follows Prometheus? Prometheus to Electric Boogaloo. <laughs> it's the myth of Pandora. So Pandora is a is a is a uh-huh. is a continuation oh, okay. of the Prometheus myth, and it is the gods um, sort of punishing mankind and punishing Prometheus for having done this. So so Prometheus gives mankind uh, wisdom. So then the gods get together and they create the perfect being. Uh, in in Pandora, Pandora is Greek for um, all the gifts, right? So so all the gods conspire together, and they're like, we're gonna give her like the best of all of our stuff. Uh, we're gonna make like the ultimate god creation, a very similar idea to like 
the way people think about building artificial intelligence, right? Making the the, the ideal human, the, like David, right? And and I'll get back to that in a second. So David is in a lot of ways the the Pandora stand-in, the thing that was created to be perfect and ends up fucking everybody over. Because as it turns out, the thing that that what's at the heart of the myth of Pandora is what the myth says and what Genesis says in the Bible and what pretty much every religious warning myth says is that the one most advantageous but also most destructive and universal trait of mankind is curiosity. Curiosity is what gets us to the moon. It's also what gets us the hydrogen bomb, right? It's it's this thing that has both an incredible upside and an incredible downside, but is also the fundamental fact of humanity is that we are we are curious. Um, we're curious about when God says, "Hey guys, here's this garden. Have at it. It's awesome. Is anything you want to do here? Don't touch that tree. See you later." Of course you want to touch the tree. Like if the last thing someone says to you before they leave the room is, "Hey, don't touch that. See ya." Right? Of course you're gonna because it's 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 curiosity. So the follow-up is that the punishment is when Pandora is is then given this box, right, by the gods and been like, check out this box. It's really cool. It's really beautiful. Never open it. Bye. Of course, all she can do is think about the box. And they knew that. They set her up for that. They made her, like, fundamentally, you know, flawed in this way. She opens the box and all of the curses of the world fly out of it and she closes it. And there's different tellings of this, but my preferred telling of it is that she closes it before knowledge of the future is released from the box. Because with knowledge of the future, if you knew what the future was going to hold, you would never have hope. You couldn't have hope because if, because you would know when you're going to die. So that's all you would think about all the time. Uh, so she shuts the box before knowledge of the future comes out, um, and that is the one redeeming quality of, of human life uh, in Pandora. You know, obviously there's a lot of Pandoras in this movie, right? Um, there's a lot of people who, like, j- are obsessed with opening the box, and it kills them, including, uh, what do you call them? Uh, Mission Impossible and Hot Fuzz? Yeah. <laughs> and, and and that is also, like, a theme of the, uh, the alien movies in general, um, that were a lot of Pandoras. But I think the most obvious one, like, the, the, the perfect creation, w- which ends up unable to escape its, its creati- creative curse, is David. David is 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 well named as well because uh, the David of the Bible goes through a very similar kind of downfall. Um, he is uh, he comes from sort of humble means. He he ends up becoming the greatest king of the uh, kingdom of, of Judea. But his his lust ends up being his downfall. Lust and curiosity go hand in hand, and he curses his descendants uh, for time immemorial until Jesus comes along and, and redeems everybody. And also, you know, the, the, the creation, David as one of the great man-made creations of all time um, in, in, in Michelangelo's David, the, the sculpture, which is considered to be, you know, the greatest statue ever made uh, in terms of it being perfect. So, you know, David is a really good name for this character in terms of what he's meant to imply. And th- this movie, and especially Covenant, like, is Fassbender's movie movie. I mean, like Fassbender oh, yeah. is so fucking good in this movie. It's 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 ridiculous. Well, yeah. here's a spoiler. He's pretty good in a lot of things too. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. He's bad in some th- yeah. I mean, well, he's not bad in things, but there are some really bad movies he has made. Uh, he, he's in some bad things. For instance, <clears throat> Jonah Snow, Hex, Snowman. <laughs> widely considered the worst movie of the last, you know, 500, uh, yeah. 500 years. Yeah, but his imitation of of uh, Laurence Olivier, or not Laurence Olivier, sorry, Peter O'Toole. Um, as Lawrence, Lawrence of, Arabia, of Arabia, what am I thinking? Yeah. It's amazing. Like, he plays basically this character as Peter O'Toole the entire time. And again, that has a great 
sort of metaphorical function because you see him doing it at the beginning of the movie when everybody else is asleep. He's watching Lawrence of Arabia and he thinks the way to be human is to imitate Peter O'Toole and Lawrence of Arabia, right? Like that's, that's the best way to become a human being is to like watch a movie and figure out what it's doing and imitate it. And the idea that imitation is this, is as good as understanding, again, is one of those like core themes of this movie that there, we have a lot of people who don't really know what they're doing, but act like they do and act act like that they do with confidence uh, to the point that it gets them killed. Fake it till you make it. Yeah, and again, <laughs> I think this is part of sort of Ridley Scott's obsession with the, the faults and failures of, of, of mankind uh, in general. Most of us are dumb, and that we, we, we think we know what we're doing, we're doing but, but we don't, including Vickers. <laughs> Here's another really good example of. At least she was smart enough to have like her own life support ship with like a piano and books and a nice view. Yeah, but not, a, not smart enough to like roll sideways when something is coming at you, like from coming down <laughs> on you. Like, oh, Vickers, Vickers, Vickers. Move Vickers. ten feet to the left as opposed to running forward Whoa. away from it would be would be a much better. Uh, well, she's basically the like corporate interest, right? So I mean, I knew she was gonna die a pretty dumb death because everyone does, but. I mean, I knew she was just more fodder, ultimately, because she comes out and she's like, I represent the corporation. I'm like, all right, you're the money man or whatever. You're just, yeah. And then she has that speech. We're not here to experiment. I'm like, wait, we're not? Like, (laughs) what are they going to do? But yeah, I know. She's a little, that's just a little thin, but... I guess serves her purpose. Well, let's talk about her. I mean, because I've I think I've 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 sort of gushed on this movie enough. Well, that's why you're on, man. I mean, <laughs> I know, yeah, you are you are on to teach us about things. I know you're sort of uh, tight on time, and I want to make sure we get to the other things by the end of the episode that we have to do. Sure. But uh, I like that our first introduction. What I loved, I wrote down, Mike. I don't know if you made the same connection in your head. She's introduced in this movie the way that we sort of were introduced to a couple different cage characters. Oh, the first thing push-ups. we see Charlize do is doing push-ups in her yeah. essentially fifth element underwear. But and also she's like soaking wet because she just like came out of hypersleep. But has I don't think Cage has ever done a soaking wet push-up. So I think she in his underwear. Like I think she just won up Cage in something here by doing a half naked soaking wet push-up. I don't know. <laughs> she kind of she kind of did his thing. Yeah, absolutely. I also like uh, not of any significance to this movie specifically, but when we were playing that game of Link that created a shared Charlie's universe, this is sort of like a little bridge between modern day and Astro Boy or Eon Flux. Like it's sort of this oh, like yeah. weird hovering in between near futures. So I was like, oh, a little Charlie's, a little Theron action there. I love that she's doing so much sci-fi like i i didn't realize how much science fiction she's in and it's really great and it's great that she's like in better and better stuff so it's really cool and she's not done yet it felt like to me sort of partway through the movie that she was and this is you know referencing another project that mike and i are working on right now cinemakers uh christopher nolan it felt like she was the ellen page in inception and a little bit like she was sort of the audience surrogate in this movie where she's just like yes. wait what's going on yes. what's happening why are we doing this what's going on I understand that she's sort of like the captain of the ship I mean not like the captain captain that's, that's Idris Elba but she's like the high ranking official she's the one who's like sort of make sure that everything's like literally smooth sailing but it feels like it felt sort of not heavy handed but a little heavy handed in like hey I'm going to keep asking the questions that the audience wants to ask because we're on a, a literal alien planet and we don't know what's happening or who these people are really or why they're doing what they're doing. Yeah, I wish that she had sort of like more going on definitely like 
to talk about. Uh, I really just wish it wasn't a movie like that either. I wish it was just smart scientists explaining things to each other, you know, like, oh, look over here and like analyze this and like, here's the answer to that. And okay, moving on, like more of like an archaeological dig or something. But yeah, I don't know. I just feel like she comes across like really stern and serious and like that's it and like maintains it and just reminds everybody throughout the movie this is supposed to be dangerous and we're supposed to take this stuff seriously and then meanwhile like there's a guy smoking weed in his helmet <laughs> you know is which that I love. tobacco like, it's, it's a funny touch and everything but i'm just saying like people aren't listening to her they don't respect her and like all that kind of stuff i wish that was sort of i wish there were just maybe less characters or like when people were killed off we got more out of the ones that were left like they sort of went up a level or something but for her she just has like there's a there's the reveal that Whalen's alive and her father and that David's her brother but like I I feel like okay now I know part of why she was so pissed off the whole time but like I just didn't feel like there was any big reveal it didn't land to me like a big reveal I mean it was interesting and you know it serves the the plot pretty well but like I I felt like the movie was trying to say like they're siblings and i was just like okay whatever i, don't I mean know. It, it's shakespearean in that way right where it's like brother and sister in a way kind of vying for the throne and like she's supposed to be the rightful heir mm. and yet doesn't get it because Waylon's like no 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 i'm not dead yet it's the same thing like with succession with succession which i haven't mm-hmm. been watching on hbo i watched the first episode and a half but it's king, it's sort of king lear but it's 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 very shakespearean in like how she believes that she's entitled to something yeah yet it's not actually going to be her so of course she's gonna be pissed and there's also like the added wrinkle the added complexity of if she is a human then it appears that maybe david could have been cloned from her dna because they look very similar oh that's interesting so that's also alarming yeah. Not only am I not going to become king of this empire, but now I've got a robot who's going to out a robot brother who like is part of me or is me and that's the real true son that like my dad actually loves. Like there's so much like sadness in her character's backstory that we yeah. don't really have time to delve into because it's like, oh, why is she being such an icy cold standoffish for lack of a better word bitch? You know right. what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's like like she's given three dimensions, but she's written in such a two D way and like and yeah. given nothing more to do that until you like actually stop and think about it, it's like, oh, this is sort of like a, a flat character, but then if you actually think about it, if you actually care about it and do what we're doing and try to like look deep into her history. <laughs> yeah, and again, if it was a lesser actress, then then it would have just been sort of a, a, a write-off, whatever, you know, non-memorable character that uh, didn't mean very much. But I, th- I, I think the Lear L, uh, angle is, is, is a really interesting one. I, I, another sort of one of the um, kind of psychological themes that permeates this movie is that idea of entitlement, of the idea of like being able to get something because you feel like you deserve it, whether that's you know, reading the coded messages on Earth as an invitation to this planet, which maybe it wasn't, right? Or the idea that, like, well, since I have uh, funded this mission and gotten this far and found the engineers, then I deserve to get their their you know tips on how to live forever, even though I don't, uh, you know. Or or whether it is you know she has maybe an argument that 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 she was the the first child and perhaps the only biologically created child. Where 
whereas David is a is a robot. But then also the the element of of being let down, of being disappointed, of uh, finding out you were wrong, right? That that like yeah, shit happens, right? Sometimes you go to a planet and you get killed, and uh, you deserve it, uh, and 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 that's how it goes. You know, I think one of the things that Mike said that sort of stuck out at me was was you know talking about how like they're smart scientists and so they should be meticulously expl- like yeah, I mean we like to think of it that way, but honestly, like lots of scientists have died doing stupid things because they were they were too curious to like not do it right like Marie Curie like um, Howard Carter opening King, King Tut's tomb as it turned out was not the best idea right like yeah so like you know yeah there's there's countless examples of this like scientists are smart but more than smart they're curious and like that's what gives them their their great advantage uh, and, and and puts them often um, on on in into history books but but also can sort of make them history right sometimes um, <laughs> and 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 that's I think that's fair I, I think we have too many movies where we see the smart scientists who don't do the wrong things um, and, I, and I don't think it's uh, it, it's fair like one of the one of the things that people criticize about Prometheus is the scene where they take their helmets off as though there's something unscientific about that and it's precisely the opposite right they're yeah. like they're on an alien planet like they don't like no they do they checked the chemistry of the atmosphere so they know they can breathe it like that's what a scientist would do right when when your scientific instruments say you can breathe this then like take your helmet off and breathe it there's nothing <laughs> there's nothing really all that surprising about that it's 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 perfectly in line with with the way that scientists behave but as to this, as to this Charlie's character, um, you know, I, I, I do think it's it's a, it's a nice addition to the overall story. I like the sort of Shakespearean sibling rivalry. And getting back to the first thing that we were talking about, I like the idea that you have to ask the question as to whether or not she's a robot, because she certainly acts very robotically. But there might be another reason as to why she's doing that, which is that she might be really pissed off for good reason. Uh, and she might be the only person here who really thinks all of this shit is bullshit and shouldn't be happening, right? Like, this is all a very, very bad idea. Uh, and at some point, like, as an audience member, we might be like, hmm, maybe she was the, actually the one that we were supposed to sympathize with because she knows actually, like, <laughs> right? Like, she's yeah. actually the only maybe smart person here. But I think even more important than that, uh, you know, is 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 you have David in a way, right, trying to imitate humanity as a robot, whereas you have... Charlize's character trying to almost imitate robots as a, as a human yeah. being, uh, and right. and it's and it's a really interesting contrast. I do agree that it's kind of underplayed, but it, it if you did it anymore, it would kind of require its own movie. But you know, the payoff really is like the confrontation between her and Wayland, and I, and and again, I think it's important that. That, that question exists as to whether or not she's a robot because ultimately does it really matter they are both creations one way or another of Wayland right they are both his children and does it matter how something is created is that actually an important question that seems to be the question that Wayland cares most about he wants to meet his creator he wants to ask why he was created but ultimately like the, the, the very first question in Prometheus is probably the most important one does it matter? Like, does is that really an important question to ask? Is it a question that should have an answer to it? Should we be looking for our creator and asking our creator why we were created? Is that a responsible thing to do, right? I think that is, is, is to me, the, the, the question that Prometheus deals with in a really interesting ways that I, I just haven't seen really explored in other 
science fiction movies. And you do have to get a little ancient alien-y about it, right, to get to that question. But I think Prometheus does it in a way that is less absurd and uh, ancient aliens than the show Ancient Aliens is, right? The ancient <laughs> astro- astronaut yeah. hypothesis. It actually deals more with the panspermic hypothesis, which I think is is pretty much universally, I mean, not universally, but a fairly mainstream scientific idea at this point that, that you know, the building blocks of life came from outer space and interacted with the elements on Earth, and that's why we're here. You know, it goes a little bit into as, as more of a um, intelligent form created this sort of panspermic phenomenon, but, but that's kind of where it starts, um, and, and not in the beginning, God was bored. <laughs> sort of like a chariots of the gods sort of touch... Yeah, it definitely is. But again, too. but less yeah. but less of the like less than aliens do. Right, the overlords <laughs> coming down and teaching us how to make pyramids, right? That's mm-hmm. and like Prometheus doesn't really go there so much and 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 you know, the the panspermia basically mean it's 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 talking about like comets. It's not talking about right, engineers. Uh it's saying that stuff from space landed on Earth, which it does all the time, and at a certain point in Earth's history interacted with the primordial ooze and, and then we came out of the ocean. And is that what Turtles Two is about? Is yes, the secret of the secret ooze? of the ooze. That is what the secret that is of the, the ooze yeah. is. Yeah. 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 So cool. there's a nice interesting tie in there. By the way, you know this whole universe <laughs> is also part of the uh, the Tommy Westfall universe. I don't know who that is. Oh, you don't? Okay, so the Tommy Westfall universe is a hypothesis that basically all of American popular media uh, entertainment um, is in the head of a character from oh! St. Elsewhere. Uh, yes. named Tommy Westfall. <laughs> oh no, really? <laughs> how does how does this fit in? Wait, Mike, do you know about this theory or no? Yeah, no, I don't know that how it applies to the alien. Okay, series, but you know but about you know about the of... you know about the theory yeah. as a whole. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So uh, Alien makes it in, and by the way, so does Firefly makes it in because of Whale and Utani. So uh, Whale and Utani exists in the Firefly universe. It also exists in the Buffy and Angel universe because one of the corporations that Angel uh, that Wolfman Hart represents in Angel is. Wyland Yutani. And there are, I can't remember what the crossover character is, but there's some character in Angel who, uh, and I think again, it's one of the people that Wolfman Hart represents that then connects it to another show, uh, and ultimately it goes back to um, St. Elsewhere and Tommy Westfall. But uh, you can read the entire layout of the Tommy Westfall exp- uh, universe um, uh, <laughs> into elsewhere. Cool. But that's what gets Alien uh, and this whole world, and Blade Runner, um, into the mind of Tommy Westfall, and it is merely nice. a dream of Tommy Westfall. That means Kurt Russell's soldier is also in that boy's head. Right. If you've not Correct. seen Soldier. Correct. But yeah, because he's like a uh, discarded android from the Blade Runner universe. That's correct. And I actually, I read, I, and I have to now read this, um, but I was I was doing some reading about the Tommy Westfall universe last last week because some people that I was hanging out with had never heard of it. And I was like, oh no, like every show is basically just in this kid's head. A professor at uh, Cornell University wrote a five-point re- rebuttal to the Tommy Westfall uh, universe hypothesis. So now I got to read that. But it's like an academic paper that is, and he's a philosophy professor at Cornell, uh, and so he took the time to write an academic published paper uh, that refutes the, the Tommy Westfall universe hypothesis. That's my, that's my final tidbit. Prometheus is in the mind of a character from St. Elsewhere. So I got, I got a little bit of uh, trivia here about Charlize specifically in this movie that I want to run by you, and then we can do the quick games, we can wrap up. So, number one, Charlize apparently was like a, a heavy smoker at this time, and so oh, she no. found herself having difficulty like running through the desert in those really heavy boots because she didn't have the lung capacity for it. Wait, what year was this? 2012? Yes. 
it's the year I quit smoking. So, oh, oh my God! Yeah, I haven't so had a single cigarette since. <laughs> Ridley Scott instructed Charlize to stand in corners and move in lurking movements in order to accentuate Vickers' distant, enigmatic nature, which I really like. That's pretty cool. All right. The makeup process to age Guy Pierce took five hours to apply, but only one hour to remove. Or I guess one hour to remove Oof. was also kind of a lot. So that's a uh... that's a bit much. They should have gone over to Marvel and asked for a little bit of that digital makeup stuff. Yeah, and I'm on, always you know? like, yeah, I'm like, whenever I hear that, and not only am I like, I, I, there's no way, like, every day I could just spend five hours in a chair. When I hear, like, so-and-so's makeup took, you know, 14 hours, like, well, when do you film? Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. right? I mean, like, okay, right. now the day's I'm over. Wrong. Like, sorry, you know, got your makeup on, time to go home. Yeah, it's weird. Also considered for the role of Elizabeth Shaw, the Numi Rapace role, I don't know if this was before Charlize was essentially cast or when after she dropped out or whatever, were Gemma Arterton, Carrie Mulligan, Olivia Wilde, Anne Hathaway, Abby Cornish, and Natalie Portman, which I think a lot of those could probably Whoa. do a pretty good hey, job. Annihilation, Natalie Portman. There All we right. go. James Franco was considered for the role of Holloway, but he would go on to be Captain Branson oh. in Alien Covenant, so he stayed in that universe. And also, any, like, what, that, that dude who plays Holloway is like in stuff and whatever, and nobody cares. And it, it, that's exactly who should be playing Holloway. You shouldn't yeah, get but, an actual. That was in this around the time Franco was going after like four doctorates in a movie a month, <laughs> like out of his mind. And on like General <laughs> Hospital or whatever it was. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, there was, oh, because remember James Franco was in, in the Valley of Elam, like, and he was just like, basically like the oh, yeah. secretary at the front desk, like the receptionist at this like army base. And mm-hmm. that was his role in the movie. It's like, what? why? Why are you, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. The only other thing that I have here of note was that for the scene where Charlize Theron wields a fire, a flamethrower, which I'm surprised that we haven't uh, talked about yet. Yes, she wields she, fire. It was actually yeah, right. a wheel, a real flamethrower nice. that really Scott sort of taught her how to use. And she was like, cool. yeah, I want to do it. Like she read the script. She's like, yeah, I want to do it. And then she got the set and she was like, oh no, I have to let a person, I have to let a person on fire. I mean, it's a stuntman who knows what he's doing, but she did it. Like they convinced her to do it. But her reaction where she goes from this, like, you know, icy robot-like person to sort of worried that she's lighting a dude on fire is real because she's actually lighting a person on fire and she's not, you know, super thrilled about it. So that was... (laughs) It's like a little uh, Mad Max training right there. Yeah. (laughs) Also, there's a lot of people that you wouldn't have to convince me to light on fire. So, like, you know, it seems like it'd be fun. As long as I'm not the guy on fire. No, no, totally no. I don't want to be the guy on fire. I want to be the guy lighting the guy on fire. That's, I mean, that's definitely what you want to be in that situation. Uh, Do either of you have any other thoughts about Prometheus before we uh, wrap up and go on to the segments and games of it? No, I love this movie. You should too. Like, yeah, stop hating on this movie. It's really good. We're recording before the Real Bad episode came out, so I'm interested to hear what they think, but go check Mm -hmm. out the Real Bad episode. R-E-E-L, Real Bad, also on caseclub.me. Find out what they did not like about this. I feel like Real Bad, like, they talk about movies that they don't like, but they're also fair about the movies. Like, they don't just shit on movies and shit on movies. That they... There's stuff in here that we're like, hey, people are dumb. There's dumb-dumbs in this movie. And, like, we're not, you know gushing praise about this, but I'm, I'm interested to see what they think about this. I mean, I am, but sure. <laughs> I tend to think they're films that are generally regarded as bad movies, but not necessarily ones they don't like. And, and that's how I come down on this one nowadays. I guess, like, originally when I first saw it, I just didn't like it. I think I was just in the camp of I'm just not, I, I just had different expectations, ultimately, you know what I'm saying? I was just there for answers to a reboot of an Aliens movie, and now I approach it from an entirely different angle, and I actually, you know, I'm surprised how much I quite like it. I'm going to 
go raise the uh, star rating on my letterbox review and everything. You know, I guess you could say, John, I'm I'm one of those reformed haters towards this film in the franchise. I just, it's, I mean, there's a lot more there when you give it a chance and you could really dive deep into it if you want to, or if you don't, you can just appreciate it as a cool ass science fiction movie too. <laughs> so it true. really, it really tries to go there for everybody. So yeah, give it, give it another shot, peeps. Cool. Well, we have an email address on the show. Watch at canesclub.me. You can email us. You can let us know what you think of the movie. Listen to the real bad episode. Listen to this one. See, tell us who got it right, who got it wrong. Let us know. Hopefully us. But also, real bad's great too. So our game here, John. We have no we have no mail by the way, but email us anyway. Our game today, John, is when you were on last time. That didn't happen. We were we were doing a recast <laughs> game, I believe. But uh, oh yeah, we have a new game. It's essentially called Unfortunate Improv, which is what all of our games are essentially called. Okay. Next week's release, as we're recording this, the weekend this comes out, this episode comes out Friday, July 27th, the big Hollywood release of the weekend is Mission Impossible Fallout. Fallout. Yeah. So, how would you insert either Charlize Theron's character, Vickers, yeah. into the world of Mission Impossible, or, if that doesn't work... How would you insert Charlize Theron into the world of Mission Impossible? Also, for the record, also coming out that day is Teen Titans Go to the Movies, which, yes, New Cage movie. A movie called Hot Summer Nights, which I don't know if it's a Netflix movie or what, but it's got Timothy Chalamet and Micah Monroe. So I am on board for that one. <laughs> but, okay, so John, Mission Impossible Fallout, if you, want to, if you want time to think about it, Mike and I can go first. How would you either put Vickers or Charlize into the world of Mission Impossible. Well, I think a Vickers-like Charlize character... This is easy. Like, I, I would make her turn out to be the, the real mastermind behind the Syndicate, mm-hmm. whereas Sean Harris is is just kind of like her puppet. Or at least, like, someone who thought he was, you know, an equal to this person, but ultimately she betrays him and turns out to be uh, the true mastermind behind the Syndicate. That's a no-brainer. What I also like about that is that you could also sort of think of it as, like, a again, tied to this movie, a Mandarin-type situation with Guy Pierce from Iron Man 3. Sure. Where it's like, you know, a puppet pulling the strings. <laughs> I think that's kind of what I'm saying. Yeah, I think, yeah. That, that he's, he's, the, he's the, like, the propped-up figurehead of this organization, but she's the real... She's the Blofeld. She's the one yeah. pulling the strings. Mike, do you have any ideas that aren't that? Because I feel like that's a, a sort of a slam dunk. No, yeah, no, that one, I want to see that. Um, <laughs> let's let's make that one number seven. Uh, it's funny because there's the MI connection in this. Mission Impossible is in this movie. He's going to be in the next one, I think. But uh, <laughs> yes, yes, he is. <laughs> Wait, yeah, he, what? So, he's back, I think. He yeah. is, yeah, yeah, definitely. He didn't die at the end of... Uh, no, he just gets arrested. He gets yeah, put in a box. Put in a box. Uh, so my connection is going to be that she plays Vickers great 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 grandmother or whatever it has to be this is just when the Whalen Corporation is just starting up okay. she is like the figurehead of that and Ethan Hunt just like for a sequence needs to like steal a piece of tech from the Whalen Corp and like he's just like running through the halls and everything and we see like photos of her and stuff so uh, she might not even make an actual appearance maybe she does yeah he'll probably have to like burst into a board meeting and she's like what's going on here and he's like just a moment and jumps out like the window and does like a base dive or something. So that's how I'm gonna uh, kind of link all of this together, and, and we can then we can just go put it in that autistic boy's head from saying mm. elsewhere. Well, actually, cool. I, I think I, I like in principle that idea, but I, I would actually improve it by saying that she should be like one of the uh, the corporate overlords of Utani and not Wayland, because we've seen enough of of Wayland, and we know that like that company doesn't start up until much later. But we also know it merges with the Utani company, so. You know, that could be the entryway. And then that would also give you a good excuse to, like, you know, jet set to Japan for some scenes 
uh, in, in Mission Impossible 7. Nah, there you go. Yeah. So I'm going to take a little bit of Mike's idea and do the great-great-great-great-grandmother thing, but, 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 I'm going to also give, in this Mission Impossible movie, I'm going to give Ethan Hunt amnesia, and he wakes up with a tattoo <laughs> that is in the constellation of nice. that they're following in this one, Yeah, and cool, he has cool. to go find <laughs> out what this means. Like, he knows he's, like, MI6 or whatever, but he doesn't know what he he's like really Jason Bourne now. Who, yeah, he doesn't know who he is. Exactly. Like, he's sort of, he's born in, like, maybe supremacy or the end of identity or whatever. <laughs> and he has to go find out what this means. And Charlize is, like, this researcher, this astrophysicist and her. Maybe she is, like, a Wayland that goes way back. And this is sort of, you know, maybe the first one that they found. And they're they're trying to link him. Somehow he's got this, like, celestial cosmic importance, the significance, this you know, he's a Christ-like figure. Well, he is tattoo just in real life, so, you know, that kind of <laughs> makes true. sense. He's a I was also thinking that, too. Christ-like mm-hmm. figure of the, uh, you know, the, the creator aliens. Xenu, Xenu. Lord Xenu and, and the Thetans and all that stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's essentially Scientology plus Mission Impossible plus Born Identity plus Memento, kind of? But that also ties in perfectly <laughs> because, because... Oh, no, also, hold on. Also plus Da Vinci Code. Okay, good. Yeah, good yeah absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but Tom Cruise and, and and Ethan Hunt apparently have both also clearly figured out the the key to immortality. So Whoa. so uh, and and not aging. Uh, so so Tom Cruise is an engineer. Is that what oh, we're saying? Oh, I like that too. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, or or a creation cool. of the engineers. Uh, a kind cool. of a second Jesus, if you will. Ethan Hunt, after all, being an anagram of Jesus. That is not true at all. Uh, <laughs> it is. It any, is if you work hard enough. Any amount of research uh, would. If you know how to actually spell Ethan Hunt, that. it is right in Aramaic. It definitely. Mm-hmm. Yep. The last feature on the show, and John, I want to make sure that we get your input on this. It's time to nominate these for the Watch the Throne Awards, the Golden Wallpapers, the Golden Teeth, whatever they are. We want to nominate... What are we going to nominate this for? Not necessarily... I don't think best role, worst role. I think it's just somewhere in the middle. Like, I think she's good, but it's not... She's not the focal point of this movie. No. Uh, no. Do we want to nominate this for best movie or no? Um, well, I would. <laughs> how many spots are left? <laughs> because Well, we uh... have six nominated so far, and we're also going to nominate it from here on out at least Fury Road, at least Atomic Blonde, at least Kubo. So this could be okay. we could put it, we could be at ten after this. So I think maybe. Yeah, we could do like an Oscar limit kind of yeah. thing. Uh, my 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 favorite part about doing it this way, Mike, is that at the end when we do the announcing of the Golden Wallpapers, we're gonna be able to cull down what we don't want to include. You know what I mean? So it's gonna be exactly a, sort of a two pronged thing. What else do we have in here? Most badass role, not really. Like again, she's sort of reserved by de- by definition by purpose here yeah there yeah. was there was potential there was so much but be- like she starts off this movie as the most badass person and she gets dumb killed so no well we are going to nominate that for best death when we get to that shortly oh but yeah 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 okay. do we want to nominate this for best charlie's outfit slash wardrobe definitely wait the lilu costume that she's in, <laughs> in early on or the actual spacesuits? because any of them yeah <laughs> i say yes best death rolled over by a spaceship right should have moved 10 feet to left. The more I see it, the less I kind of have a problem with it. Just after you've said that, rolled over by a crush, like by a spaceship. Like, almost as if you said it like she got hit by a car or yeah. something. rolled over by a spaceship. But the thing is, if something is coming and rolling at you, like, you do not run forwards. Like, that's not going to help in the long run. You run to the side where you have plenty of room. She's the business end. She doesn't know. know anything I... about running and stuff. She's all numbers and forms and... 
taxes. And do we not want? Do we want to nominate any non Charlize death for best non Charlize death? I mean, the one, the flame, the guy that gets flamethrowered yeah, by Charlize. That could be cool. I always, yeah. yeah, that's some of my favorite imagery on film. Anytime, anyways, when someone's running around screen screen on fire, it's just hypnotizing. I don't know. <laughs> Is there a fight a in this movie that we want to nominate? There's, no, because there's, really there's what the fight. engineer versus the giant starfish. Yeah, which is pretty cool, but but, yeah. Best line, what I want to nominate is, did did you really think I was going to sit in a boardroom for years arguing over who is in charge while you go look for some miracle on some godforsaken rock in the middle of space? A king has his reign, and then he dies. It's inevitable. That is the natural order of things. What's her answer to Idris Alba? Isn't she like, give me 10 minutes and meet oh, me? Oh, that was room my room, too, 10 yeah. minutes. Yeah. <laughs> my room, 10 minutes. Hey, Vickers, I was wondering, are you a robot? My room, 10 minutes. Which still doesn't really answer it, but kind of answers it. Yeah, kind of does. Well, yeah, I just, I mean, if she was a robot, I actually, I don't know how durable this generation is, because David gets his head torn off and everything, but I figured if she was, uh, maybe if she was crushed by the ship, if she was a robot, she might have showed up at the very end, sort of like brushing dirt off her shoulder, trying to like escape or something. Or it's the Westworld answer, you know, it doesn't make a difference, right? If, yep. I, if I am, does it matter? Yeah. Nope. Or if you can't tell, does it matter? That's Nope. Best cinematography, yes. Definitely. Oh, God, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Best score slash soundtrack? Or Absolutely. No? Oh, God. The, the score to this is so freaking good. It's like, yeah, I mean, you, yes. I have to agree. Yeah, like, it's very unusual and very soothing at times, but I, I find it completely its own thing. Like, I remember even sitting in the theater thinking, like, oh, I might not have liked this movie, but I, li- I really liked the way it sounded. Yeah. So, yeah, <laughs> the I, it, score like, I, it's, does it's, it for me. It's worth watching. If you if you don't know how good the score is, it's worth watching just to pay attention to the score and, like, phase everything else, you know, sort of in the background and really focus on that. It's so, it's so good. The only other things in terms of acting I want to nominate for, I want to nominate uh, Michael Fassbender for Best as David. Mm. And I want to nominate Numi Rapace as best for Elizabeth Shaw. Yeah, yeah, I think Numi Rapace yeah. is really, really good in this movie too. And I, that's 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 the other thing that I hear um, criticism of. I think a lot of people were comparing the character to Ripley and uh, unfairly. Really? Well, yeah. I think I think oh. it's fair as an archetype to because she's a dark-haired woman sure. who is going to be she's the last she's the final girl who is a badass chick like there's a lot of comparisons here absolutely there are but like it's a different character and i think to to say like well ripley was better is is not really a sound argument to make that's 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 what it comes down to like of course she's the ripley character right she's she's in the ripley yep. role but like it's not ripley it's a different character and i think she portray- I, I think that character is very well realized in a movie that a lot yeah. of a lot of characters are just sort of archetypes or symbolic stand-ins. Yeah, I like I quite like her and I don't I haven't really I've seen the first Dragon Tattoo movie she was in, but I haven't really I don't think I've seen anything yeah. else that she's in that I'm aware of, but she's very good. I like her, but yeah, nothing there's nothing like Ma- Michael Fassbender. I mean, there's just nothing like him. Like he's just amazing, and even more so in Covenant. I mean, he, he's like Covenant. Is yeah, just, he's, the oh, two man. the two droids he does. I almost wish Covenant was just him on a planet <laughs> for two hours doing <laughs> shit by himself. Because I don't know, I just love him. Uh, but he's amazing here, and I love the whole David character as well. So that's like a double plus here. Anything Anything else about this movie, good or bad, that we want to nominate it for? Because I think in terms of the categories that we have we're good but anything else of note that we want to nominate that we should create a category now like sort of three quarters away through the through the thing or are we are we in a good place i feel like we're in a pretty good place i also want to kind of start laying off maybe trying to nominate like 
things I bad things because now at least for a movie now that I don't have those same issues for any, either. So yeah, oh yeah, I no, I mean we're gonna, we're gonna we're gonna scale this back. Don't worry about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I don't. I really don't feel like any more sort of negativity towards this movie anymore. So like, yeah, I'm good. Cool. Well, thank you so much, John, for joining us. I'm glad that we could get yeah. you back on the Watch the Throne show at one point. <laughs> Our next. Uh, project. I don't know if we've told you about this. I don't know how you're going to be able to bring philosophy to what we're doing, yeah. but we're going to find a way to bring philosophy to beep technology films. Oh my god. Wow. So, yeah. there we go. I haven't seen any of them. So Me um, either, oh. I don't think, in their entirety. So, it's going to be wildly a new experience for all of us. So, yeah. anyway, thank you so much, John, for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. For all things Watch the Throne, including John's past episode, sort of, kind of, Cider House Rules, <laughs> but also the real bad episode about Prometheus. You can go to cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Also, two new things of note. Number one, we have a newsletter now, news that are going out the first of the month every month at cageclub.me slash newsletter. Go sign up. We will send you a newsletter, just a monthly digest of the best of the best of the show, of what the network has to offer. But also of note, we sort of teased it for a while, I think, on this podcast, or maybe just a bunch of other podcasts. We were finally published on NorthJersey.com and in the Bergen Woo! Record, our interview Yay. about the Cage Club Podcast Network. Shout out to Kyle Reinfried of Upcoming Foodie Films Podcast, which now I believe is going to come out August 8th, Wednesday, August 8th, so go check that out. And there's a really great photograph of Mike's brother, Matt Manzi. Yes. <laughs> That has been corrected now. Oh, but that is that is that is lost to the sands of the sands of time. But shout out to Kyle who should have taken a screenshot. <laughs> yes, uh, but go go check out. We we posted on our socials, so go check it out. It's it's just really cool. I'm really happy with how it turned out, and it really paints us like I'm glad at how much of our weirdness it actually captured. So <laughs> oh, again, it captures a lot. Really cool. Yeah, it definitely it really, does. really does. It really, really does. So anyway, cageclub.me, Facebook.com/slash/cageclub at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. Go check out the real bad episode of Prometheus. See what that's all about. And email us, watch at cageclub.me. I'm Joey Lewandowski. And I'm Mike Manzi. And that was John Brooks. And we'll be back next time for Snow White and the Huntsman on Watch the Throne.